uh, but it has to do with cultural appropriation. And it always makes me say, should Shakespeare have been allowed to write Othello? Well, that's an absurd question. It's absurd on the face. And yet, that's what these gatekeepers are asking. Culturescape, the show that interviews the geeks that built our modern nerd culture. I don't know why I'm having such a hard time with this intro. Today, I have with me the vivacious Mike Barron, a comics legend and multiple Eisner Award winner. We are going to talk about his latest comics project, Private American, which has seen an incredible amount of censorship online, especially at places like Twitter. Well, we were going to talk about his previous project, Thin Blue Line, which came to great success last year, the state of the comics industry, his career, and more. And thank you for coming on, Mike, and putting up with that. My pleasure. Okay. So let's get started with your, your current project. Last year, you did the comic Thin Blue Line, which was uh, a pro-police law enforcement comic that you, that you took inspiration from what happened with the, the riots in 2020. And that did pretty well. So this year you're working on a new project that's a little bit political, probably, some people think. (laughs) You want to tell us about that? Private American is what Captain America or the Punisher would be doing if they were being written by uh, a patriot. Uh, It's about the southern border. Marco Zamora is a second generation Cuban. And like a lot of emigres who came here legally, he's more patriotic than the average American. Uh, He's a veteran. He lives in Texas. And every night he hears the screams of girls being raped. He sees the people traipsing across his property. And finally, he says, I got to do something about this. So when we first meet Marcos, he's down on the southern border uh, interrupting a uh, human trafficker. I don't know if people know this, but uh, every girl or woman who pays $7,000 to the snakeheads to be smuggled across the border is raped as part of the price of admission. Uh, Most of them don't have $7,000. So for the women, it's sex. For the men, it's smuggling drugs. Uh, Mm -hmm. Marcus is joined by his best friend, also veteran Gus, uh, and they start going out every night. just trying to disrupt the flow and do what little good they can. They're trying to save people. And when they save people from snakeheads, they point to a light in the distance, which is uh, where the border patrol holds a station and say, you just, you march toward that light, tell them who you are and they'll take care of you. They're not after uh, the immigrants who are for the most part innocent and uh, have no interest in engaging in, uh, drug trafficking or sex trafficking. They're after the people who are enriching themselves off of it. Uh, and because they understand uh, that the only thing the rich and powerful fear is bad publicity, they record every encounter via drone. Uh, and it takes very little time for both the American government and the cartels to take notice of their activities and try to stop them. Uh, It's not a speech. It's not a bumper sticker. It's pure action and drama from the first page. Once you pick it up, you won't be able to put it down. Uh, I know how to entertain. That's my first uh, commandment as a writer is it's my job to entertain. And I never lose sight of that fact. It's just a terrific story filled with action. 
uh, about real issues that are happening now. Uh, and it's only in our hyper-politicized climate that this story would be controversial. Uh, you're either for the rule of law or you're not. If you're mm -hmm. not for the rule of law, then you don't care about civilization. Uh, this is the lecture. It doesn't appear in the book. But civilization depends on the rule of law. And that's what Marcos and his friend are trying to uphold. Uh, we created a Twitter page to let people know about the book, uh, which is no more violent than your average Marvel or DC. Uh, and within a day, uh, we have been suspended for unspecified crimes against community standards. Uh, and I think we all know why that was. It's because Twitter is staffed by activists who will permit only one point of view. Uh, now, we've appealed the ruling and we're waiting to see. And we're also hoping that Musk takes over because if he does, he's planning to fire thousands of workers. And I'm pretty sure he knows who to fire. Uh, but in the meantime, we're forging ahead with the book. Uh, I'm getting a lot of support from the comics community. And by the comics community, I mean the the people who are fed up with Marvel and DC and what they've been offering for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're rolling along. You know, the book is is finished. It's done. Richard Bonk is a, not only a very good artist, but he's a very fast artist, and that's very rare in this industry. Um, and we have uh, incredible graphics. Uh, aside from uh, Richard's uh, cover and interior work, we have a cover by Steve Rude. We have a Matt Barr cover, and we have a couple of surprises coming. So what inspired you to to try your hand at this topic to do a story like this? Like you said, obviously, back in the day, Punisher taking on whatever topic was in the news was a big part of that character. How did you move on last year from like Thin Blue Line and where it was about police? And now you're moving on. You want to talk about what's happening at the border? Well, my impetus was to create a Punisher like character because I feel there's a void waiting to be filled, uh, a vigilante story that's not simple minded. Now, I have always ripped stories from the headlines. Anybody who read my Punisher or Nexus for that matter knows this. Uh, and it seemed to me that ignoring this immense humanitarian crisis on what used to be our southern border uh, was whistling in the dark past a graveyard. Uh, and I was very surprised uh, that nobody else had uh, broached this subject. All the police shows, all the detective shows, nobody would touch the fact that we have a wide open southern border over which uh, flows uh, enough fentanyl to kill every American 10 times over. And, and the day doesn't go by that you don't hear about a new fentanyl bust. It is interesting how much pushback people are giving. Um, can you tell us some about the the pushback you've seen? I mean, of course, with censorship online, but also from other comics creators. Um, you know, I try to keep a low profile. I don't engage in ad hominem attacks. I don't even use sarcasm. Uh, but the fact that I'm conservative, and, and, I, and that's been a, I've never made a secret of that fact. And and anybody who read Punisher would, would understand that. Uh, but being a conservative in the arts these days is a little like being a Jew in Nazi Germany, your persona non grata. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of us, as you know, that have either been blacklisted or forced out of the comic industry for one reason or another. And we have a group called Comicsgate, 
which represents the alternative to the established uh, order. And Comicsgate is a big tent. It encompasses a lot of people. A lot of people claim they are Comicsgate and, and there are outliers and there's some people in Comicsgate who don't behave optimally. But the people at the top of Comicsgate, the Comicsgate kings, do behave in a very civil manner. Uh, they don't engage in ad hominem attacks. Uh, and uh, we're interested in putting out uh, scintillating entertainment. Uh, just like every other branch of entertainment, the comics has been split right down the middle between the woke and traditionalists. And by traditionalists, I mean people who hunger first and foremost to be entertained. They want a good story. And that's what we try to deliver. It's it's interesting how divisive some of the stuff can be. How you summarize the issue about the divide entertainment, especially comics, seems correct. I think a mistake a lot of people who aren't familiar with comics, they think the divide is, you know, it's like right v left. When that is that's part of it often. And I think, like you said, you know, you're a very conservative guy. This is this taking a very conservative, at least for today, conservative worldview. But really the divide is just people who want comics to be made competently to tell good stories and then everyone else and everyone else unfortunately are the people that actually are hired at places like dc and marvel yes uh it's inexplicable the decisions that the editors and the writers are making uh and i have to confess i'm not an avid follower of those books anymore at one time i was every now and then i do pick up a new marvel and check it out uh, in, in, invariably, I'm disappointed. I don't think they're entertaining. And it seems to me that uh, many of the writers uh, think it's their job to deliver a broadside or a lecture. Uh, or And you've seen them. I mean, you've seen those comic book pages from Marvel and DC, which contain enough text for a Bible. You know, just word <laughs> after word after word. Cover, yep. covering the page so that the images are squeezed out. And that's not how you write comics. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that uh, uh, I'm not in favor of, of wordless comic book stories because they only take five to 10 minutes to read and then you forget them. Uh, it's the words that you put in the comic that resonate. Uh, and and the, the proof is, I mean, there, there are phrases that have been introduced into comics uh, that live on a half century later. Uh, I remember reading the the uh, underground comics. The I love the underground comic movement, uh, and you've heard of Keep On Trucking. Mm -hmm. Well, Robert Crumb created that, uh, and uh, I'll never forget S. Clay Wilson. He had uh, uh, the Checker Demon was a character of his, and the Checker Demon had his his goggles uh, broken once. He said, "I can't see jack shit." Well, that may not be the most felicitous phrase that has lived on also. And in, in and, and of course, in, in traditional mm -hmm. comics, is tooth justice in the American way. Comics used to be messy, and that used to be like this is like an important part of comics creating culture. Sometimes these things get mixed. I was looking when I was uh, looking through comics last night. I somehow ended up on some of the stuff with um, when they killed off Jason Topper Batman, and I had forgotten going through that story. That thing is littered with like Middle Eastern politics and um, referrals to um, like Ronald Reagan and all kinds of things. And I look at comics today and it's just like it just sanitized like, you know, people have having writing stories about having um, tea parties or bake offs or who knows what. And it, it's just it's drivel. It's drivel. Sometimes the pages are so bad. These comics, it's like 
it be better as toilet paper. It's that artistically uh, useless. Who wrote those uh, Jason Todd comics? Do you recall? Ooh, was it Chuck I, Dixon? I, I I don't know if it was Chuck Dixon or maybe it was Danny O'Neill. I don't know. That's a good question. I well, you know, up. I know I knew Danny, and I interviewed him, and he said sometimes I think that the uh, the shrill manner of the '60s and '70s protesters has led to the lack of civility in politics today. Uh, and uh, Denny was 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 a hardcore leftist, and it's evident in his work. But the comics he did, like Green Arrow and Glee, Green Lantern, which brought attention to issues like racism and drug addiction, they were entertaining and they were very well done. Uh, and uh, Denny was a writer first, uh, as was Archie Goodwin, who was also my editor. And in those days, they appointed editors at the comic book companies who first and foremost knew how to tell a story. And that doesn't seem to be the case today. It is bizarre on so many levels. Like I know so many people made this point, but you see, you know, these movie franchises or even these video games that make so much money. And many times they're like, they're working with derivative ideas from comics from 20, 30 years ago. And you think how big these properties are. And then you look at comics and it's like, if a comic at DC or Marvel these days gets what, 30,000 sales, that's considered huge. Yeah. Back in your day, that that was laughable. If you only got thirty thousand for a mainline Punisher comic, you know, you you'd be fired. That'd be it. That's right. Uh, well, uh, there's a couple of reasons for that: the collapsing distribution chain, but most importantly, um, they're not turning out comics that people absolutely have to have. I mean, if you build a better mousetrap, the world will beat a path to your door. And by that, I mean uh, uh, if you write create a comic that's compelling and exciting. And elevates the form, like say Watchmen, mm -hmm. or Frank Miller's Dark Knight series, or especially Frank Miller's Daredevil. That creates genuine enthusiasm and brings in readers. But all all you're going to do is lecture people on their failure. It's not entertaining. They're not going to read the book. Uh, there's been speculation for years that Marvel and DC are going to cease publishing comics altogether and perhaps farm the titles out to to lesser publishers. Uh, now, there are ways they could have reversed this. Number one is to put out compelling books. Number two is to sell those books in the lobbies of theaters that are showing these movies. And for some reason, they just have never got their shit together to do that. But it seems so obvious to everyone in the industry. Why don't they sell these comics in the theater lobbies when you're coming out after seeing Superman or the X-Men? And there's a kiosk there with all those colorful covers. Chances are people are going to start pay, uh, picking those up. But but everything is in flux now. The digital age has changed everything. Uh, theaters are hanging on by their fingernails. Home streaming is the way to go. Uh, and nobody knows what the future will bring. You made your comment there. It does remind me of something I've heard from you before. In the heyday of comics, when you know back when writers and editors were putting out um, pretty good quality work um it never felt like if i'm reading a mike barone punisher comic it never felt like you were attacking the reader like you there was an issue with gangs where there's a great story i read where like this girl she lives alone that, that seems kind of off and the punisher watches her and then she he finds out she has a connection to these corrupt people i forget what the agency is it's supposed to be something like the da and at no point were you like were you did i ever feel like you were attacking the reader for this problem happening like 
you know, there are corrupt government organizations or they're drug smugglers or any of that. And you, you never say, and you're never in the story or looking at the reader and it's your fault. <laughs> I can't say that today though, because if we read a story and they say, oh, I'm good today, I'm going to write about the issue of transphobia or homophobia or whatever they want to call it. The, the, the enemy in that story isn't so much whatever sad villain they put up that day. It feels like the reader is the enemy. Right. Um, well, uh, my as I, t as I have often said, my first goal is to entertain. My goal is to write a story so compelling that you can't put it down, that you're going to resent any interruption until you finish that story. Uh, and, and that's what's essential to, to a good book. Uh, and also, uh, the lectures don't work because that's not part of an entertainment. You know, the first rule is to entertain. The second rule, which is just as important, is to show, don't tell. So you don't say, John was a mean man. You, so, you show John kicking a dog, and the reader will draw the right conclusion. Uh, the rule is that any information to advance a story that you can impart visually to the reader, you should, and save the words for characterization. Now, occasionally you're going to use words to advance the story, uh, but for the most part, you have to choose your words with very, with great care. With great care, you want them to be fresh. You want them to resonate. Uh, you want them to be simple. And uh, too many readers or writers automatically fall back on the voices they hear in their head. And, and that means that the phrase, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore, has been used 20,000 times in comics or move it, people, or we have to talk. If you ever find yourself about to write that, you have to stop, push yourself away from the typewriter or whatever it is, and think of a new way to say it or to show it. That kind of thing, I mean... It just feels dated, right? Because, you know, time goes by and then you're like, oh, I can tell when this was written. Um, a, so let's a good get writer. A good writer has to have the ability to imagine every point of view. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And there is this weird thing today with creatives, um, usually from the left, if they have characters in a story and they have a point of view that's negative or they disagree with, they, they attack the writer and the publisher and whoever did it. And you're like, well, that's that that character. It's not like that's my point of view. That's the character I wrote. But you you end up in these huge circles trying to deal with people, and you're like, these are such basic things of like reading comprehension and understanding art and fiction. It, it reminds the me mind. of an issue of Master of Kung Fu I picked up last year. The editor was Chinese. The writer was Chinese. The illustrator was Chinese. The inker was Chinese, and contained no entertainment value. And once again, it contained no real martial arts, no real insight into what the martial arts are. Uh, so it's this cultural appropriation thing where these, these publishing companies are now afraid to hire somebody who's not the exact ethnicity and sexual orientation of the character they're writing. It's, it's such a crazy concept. It is weird how vogue it is. And this is the kind of stuff that um, people like you are up against when you try to publish a comic, especially something on a hot topic like you did with Thin Blue Line or well, with it, Now. With as Private I said, America. Peter, we have no problem doing that because we're, we're outside the insular comics community. Uh, but it has to do with cultural appropriation. And it always makes me say, should Shakespeare have been allowed to write Othello? Well, that's an absurd question. It's absurd on the face. And yet, 
that's what these gatekeepers are asking. So talking of gatekeepers, you do face you know, comics gate has smart for the most part that they've mostly been able to rely on their own institutions or make new ones. Like if Kickstarter gets rid of you, then they can go, they can, you know, put up together their own thing. That's kind of what like um, Eric July did recently with ISOM, but you guys still, you have somewhat some reliance with, um, you know, Silicon giants like Google, Facebook, Twitter, and you, you've seen some censorship from that front. You saw with your last project with Thimble Line and now you've seen it with private American, right? Oh, we saw it with Florida Man, which is completely apolitical. Um, we were unable to post Florida Man on Reddit. First of all, Chris Brawley posted it, and he was immediately removed because Chris is the creator of Bleeding Fool, which is a site that covers comics from a conservative point of view. There are only a handful of these that I know of, and, and there are dozens and dozens of traditional comic book sites that cover it not neutrally, but from a far left point of view, I'm thinking of bleeding cool mm -hmm. or comic book resources. Uh, then I posted my first statement on Reddit and it was about my biker series. And I said that biker was about a reformed motorcycle hoodlum who went to prison and found God. And that's as far as I got. I was banned for life from Reddit. <laughs> You're you're good at that. That seems one of your one of your superpowers is you're 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 like the quickest man to get censored in the West. Well, hardly, but I'm up there. I mean, I'm... <laughs> it it is crazy. That is one of those weird things where comics media seems so. It, it, comics, it's just so strange. Comics is such a strange thing. It's like you we see manga sales and we know people are into nerd stuff, and it's just like. What is going on with you people? You don't capitalize it. You try to control it. You hardly talk about it. And when people try to do something interesting with it, you get mad. <laughs> it's like, that's impossible. You guys are impossible to work with. <sighs> well, okay. uh, it's the, the comic book is like the horse. Uh, when the automobile was invented, a lot of people said, well, that's it. The horse will, will be extinct in 20 years. But no, people love horses and horses are thriving as never before. Same with comic books. Uh, the traditional comic uh, machine may collapse, uh, but comic books will live on forever because their fans love them and they will support them outside the regular channels. And also everybody thinks they can do a comic and a lot of people are. Comics are the most forgiving medium in the world. And unless you're, you're part of fandom, you don't realize how many people want to put out their own comic. It seems like everybody I know wants to put out their own comic. And I say more power mm -hmm. to them, but you only get one chance to make a first impression. Uh, so before you let that baby out of your house, make sure that you have a compelling story and good art. So what have you found being, you know, basically an independent publisher, what have you found works really well or what were things different trying to do comics on your own versus when you are with, um, for example, the big two or uh, smaller, but you know, um, outlets. Well, um, I fell out of the comic industry in the mid nineties through nobody's fault, but my own. Uh, I couldn't get work. I didn't understand how to create a career or how to manage a career. Uh, and I entered a dark period in my life, with last, which lasted for about 10 years, in which I took any job I could get, including being a janitor. Uh, and I moved to from Wisconsin to Colorado. And uh, I went through 
some very difficult times here, but at some point I decided to start writing again. Uh, and I hooked up with a fellow named Scott Beezer. Uh, Scott's a libertarian, and I kid him about this constantly because the libertarians are crazy. But, but uh, <laughs> he talked his brother Frank into a publishing house called Big Head Press. Uh, and uh, they were kind enough to publish my architect graphic novel. And it was a story I've been dreaming of for many years. It's a horror story based on the life of Frank Lloyd Wright. And the book was a resounding success, although uh, Big Head Press didn't know how to do it. And Frank took a bath and he and he finally stopped publishing this material. And they gave all the exographic novels to me. And I've been selling them wherever I go for years and years now. And people are delighted with them. Uh, and then I undertook a couple of more projects uh, and I started writing novels again. And uh, I found out that I finally had mastered the novel. Uh, it took me 30 years to learn how to write a novel, but that's because I'm a slow learner. And now I have 16 novels in print and a couple before publishers right now. I'm very happy to be happy to be publishing with Wordfire Press, which is Kevin J. Anderson's outfit and Wolfpack, uh, which is the fastest growing publisher in the United States. Uh, and, and Chuck Dixon's there too, and a number of other friends are writing for Wolfpack. Uh, and then I started writing comics again. I put out a couple of comics with Image, uh, but as time went on, I learned a few things about writing. One of the bright spots in my life is my writing is improving. I think it is improving, uh, and that makes it easier for me to write. And now, I don't let anything out of the house unless it's a home run. Uh, and uh, people who have discovered my writing, especially the recent writing, uh, have been asking me to write for them. And I'm doing a lot of books for other people. I recently finished a Cobalt Blue script, which Pat Broderick will be illustrating. Uh, I'm adapting uh, several novels into graphic novels. Uh, I've contributed to a lot of different books and stories. Uh, but my main focus when it comes to comics are on my own creations, uh, like Thin Blue Line, uh, Private American, and our next project, which is Bronze Star, which is a supernatural Western that Pat Broderick is illustrating. He's almost done. It's the greatest work of his career. Everybody who's seen that art, their jaw has hit the floor. Uh, and when that's finished, we're going to do the Florida Man graphic novel number two which is twice as good as the first one. We were very happy with the first one, but this next one is is really tight and it's going to make people howl. Uh, and I'm working on a uh, brand new Nexus graphic novel that Kelsey Shannon is illustrating. Uh, and I have a lot of other projects in the pipeline. It would be premature to discuss them, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I've been working on these for years I'm, I'm excited i'm hooking up with some great artists and uh, i look forward to doing it and you know i would not have enjoyed the success without the help of chris brawley who is the uh chief cook and bottle washer at bleeding fool and of course as you know the only reason bleeding fool exists is because bleeding cool was so biased that chris felt that comic book readers needed another outlet uh, Chris manages my campaigns. He creates the videos. And if you've seen the videos, you know that they're the best videos anybody has ever done for a comic book. Uh, and people watching 
go to theprivateamerican.com and look at the video. You made an interesting comment for the show where you said that with the success of Thin Blue Line, which did very well, you said part of the issue with that was that the success came largely from people outside comic books. And what came to mind was things like going on Fox News, um, you know, talk radio shows, that kind of thing. Is that what you meant? And what do you think could be done to uh, fix that? How do we how do we make mainstream audiences and people care about the comic book format again? Well, one thing is by breaking outside the comic book ghetto and getting on places like Fox News, uh, because that broadcast had a great deal to do with our success. Uh, when uh, people, just normal people who, who don't support comics in general, who are not regular comic readers, when they heard about my comic and what it was about, they signed up. So, and also a whole lot of people in law enforcement ordered the book and and uh, I made some new friends and cops started writing me from all over the country, uh, giving me attaboys. And you'd be surprised at how many cops want to write novels. No, I, I am. And not exactly. I wouldn't. I've known a, a cop or two. And I've known. Um, I grew up with a family friend that uh, worked in the penitentiary over here and. They have very stressful jobs. Oh, I'm sure they do. You know, a a beat cop has a stressful job enough, but if you're working in a prison, that's 24 hours stress seven days a week. Yeah, and as as many people know, stress, feeling those charged emotions is really great artistic fuel, or it really gives you a lot to work with uh, when you're trying to write or put something together. And uh, I don't want uh, readers to uh, infer that I believe that cops can do no wrong. There are bad cops. And in fact, there's a bad cop in my Thin Blue Line book, and he's coming back. We're going to do another book. It's already written. I'm really uh, uh, pleased with it. But the police officers I know uh, join the force to uh, to make a difference in their community, to be a positive difference in their community. Uh, my penciler, Joe Arnold, is a full-time police officer, uh, and Joe's got his head screwed on straight. I think they've adopted a child. He's just a great guy. Where can people find your comics project? Um, PrivateAmerican.com, uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at Bloody Red Baron. I also have a Substack column. MikeBaron.substack.com. I'm very proud of it. I have my own website, BloodyRedBaron.com. I post there regularly, and I have a news list, and I send out uh, uh, letters regularly telling people what I've been doing and including anecdotes and even a few jokes and a lot of art. Do you ever hear back from places like Twitter or Reddit when they censor you, like ever? Do they ever come back to you like, oh, we're sorry, or here's what you can do to fix it? No. Yeah. That's, that's my experience too. It's like talk, you know, you'll get the, you'll get the message, your band or whatever, and then talk to the hand. That's yeah. like when, like when people are able to like get their YouTube channels back or whatever, you're like, wow, that's almost a miracle. Cause it, it almost takes like, you have to like get something to go viral for you to get anything to come back. Well, I that's hope true. you have much, I hope you have much success. Oh, here is my last question. Okay. We'll end the interview on this. When I talked to you last year, Mike, and you said a thin blue line broke certain Kickstarter. Well, was it Kickstarter? It might have been Indiegogo. Broke your your uh, monetization goals. You would dye your hair blue. <laughs> I'm not sure I ever saw that, Mike. Did you dye your hair blue? 
Yes, what, what I happened did. There? I did, and there was a, a brief video of it. Uh, if I could only dig it up or find it again, but my wife will attest to that because she applied the 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 dye, but it was green. It was green. I must. It was green. Honest. Okay. Are you going to do that again? You're going to do a different color. Uh, you know, I haven't thought about that, but if it uh, meant lighting a fire under the campaign, I would. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. Well, if you want to support Mike and his excellent comics, he's a fantastic writer. There's almost no comic. You could pick up almost any of Baron's comics throughout his career, and they're almost all fantastic. And I'm sure this next one will be as well. And look, if enough of you guys get 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 him attention, get this book out there, he will who knows what he'll do. He'll do crazy things to get your sales. So uh, we'll have to see that. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for being on the show. And to all our listeners, until we meet with you again next time, keep geeking out. Oh, my God.